0: This is Transformation Ground Control. Your source for all things business, technology, strategy, and change. If you're growing your business, leading change within your organization, or undertaking any sort of operational or technology change initiative, this podcast is for you. This show covers what you need to know about digital transformation, organizational change, operational improvement, and business growth.
1: Five, four,
2: three, two, one.
0: And now, here's your host,
2: Eric Kimberlin.
1: welcome to transformation ground control episode number 47 my name is eric Kimberling. i'm here with kyler cheatham kyler welcome back to the show
3: thank you for having me as always
1: yeah, thanks for being here and uh, excited for part three of our best of 2021 series uh the first two episodes of our best of we talked about people and then we talked about process so uh, if you're interested in those two topics be sure to go back to episodes number 45 and 46 where we unpack and dive into the best of those two topics or threads within digital transformation. And today we'll dive into the more technical technology side of transformation. Uh, Before we do that, though, before we kind of get through the agenda and the the plan for today, uh, uh, I just want to mention that we've got new episodes of this show every Wednesday. We have new episodes that premiere on YouTube and LinkedIn uh, every uh, Wednesday. And those new episodes also appear on the audio podcast platforms as well. So on today's show, we've got a, a great series of topics for you, a great series of clips that we're going to play for you, um, sort of the best of uh, some of the interviews we've had throughout the year, throughout 2021, those topics are related to uh, technology. Uh, but before we dive into our, our first clips and our first guest, um, you've got some recent hot topics related to technology, Kyler, that we're going to dive into here in just a second. And then after we do that, we're going to have, uh, in the second segment, we'll have Rob Taylor who is the IT director of a company called Sight & Sound. Um, They recently, they're a client of Third Stages. They recently went through a ERP software evaluation and implementation. So we're gonna play you a clip from that long interview. It was about an hour long interview, but we'll play you about 10 minutes worth of a clip within that that talks more about how that particular organization and how we help that client uh, evaluate um, potential software solutions and help them ultimately pick the, the right software solution for their organization. So we'll, we'll talk with Rob Taylor in segment two. And then after Rob, we'll have uh, Brad Feeks from a company called Estes Group. And we'll play a clip from you or for you from that interview where he talks about cloud and managed services and some of the considerations you need to have as it relates to cloud uh, versus on-premise. And then finally, we'll have Fabian, who's the CEO of Odoo Software, which is an open source software provider. He'll be on the show later. We'll play you a clip from an early episode of this show where he talks about open source technology in general. He, he certainly talks about Odoo quite a bit, but it's more focused on just the, the whole concept of open source, what some of the pros and cons are of that type of technology. So again, the theme here today is more focused on technology Last week's episode focused more on business process improvement, business process management, and the episode before that in our best of series focused more on change management or the people side of the equation. So this sort of rounds out the people, process, technology uh, aspects of digital transformation. So before we get into all that, though, um, and speaking of cloud, um, you know we're going to talk with Brad later to talk about cloud type stuff and some of the considerations and not to spoil it, but there are pros and cons to uh, cloud solutions and, and the cloud in general. And you have some hot topics uh, that sort of pull on that thread. So, what, what have you got for us, Kyler?
3: Yeah. So, here in the US, um, our Amazon services and some of the functionalities went down. So, if you are an Amazon user, you might have experienced some of the outages. Amazon just recently opened a big um, IT kind of footprint in Virginia here, which is on the East Coast of the United States. Um, Their AWS, the cloud computing arm of Amazon and the services in which they offer the cloud to their clients um, went down uh, yesterday. And um, basically it affected Netflix, Disney Plus, and then even some airlines such as Delta and Southwest and payment businesses that utilize AWS such as Venmo, which is obviously an app-based payment service, which you can transfer funds to. So a lot of the debate going on within our industry is just about cloud concentration and really underscores how the development has become a really big pain point when it comes to working with these tech giants. It's almost like the technology got a little ahead of the processes. Um, Earlier this year, Gardner forecasted that 21% um, of worldwide users will actually spend on on public cloud services, um, and that will equal about 330 billion in 2021. So that's a a huge number, obviously. Um, So I wanted to get your feedback on that, Eric, just to, to kind of think about like, are we putting all of our eggs in one basket when it comes to cloud concentration? And how do we work as a community to kind of diversify that when we only have a few really large cloud-based options for these types of things.
1: Yeah, so being true uh, true to my consulting self, I have to ask you a question before I answer yours. Um,
4: <laughs> sure.
1: I get more more because I'm curious than anything, did, do, you, do you know why or did they state why that outage happened with AWS?
3: They said that it was a technical issue that they were working through. So obviously very vague, um, but basically they kind of narrowed down the Virginia area as where the actual technical issues were.
1: Okay. So all these different providers, you mentioned like Netflix and Venmo and a lot of other customers of AWS were affected. I suspect there were probably businesses that aren't as high profile as say a Netflix going down. Were there other businesses involved too? That- oh,
3: absolutely. Yeah. There was definitely um, a, a variety of businesses affected. As, as I mentioned, as we were chatting before this episode, Amazon Music Services went down, which in, in my household full of toddlers, is a big deal when Alexa does not play Baby Shark. That's you know right. a real big problem for
1: us. <laughs> you guys must have been in full on crisis mode. We when
3: were, we when really were. But you know, yeah. luckily, we're you know we're innovators, and we made it through us Cheathams. But um, yeah, so basically, talking about the risks of outages, the risks of yeah. hackers, the risks of other tools compromising the cloud, and basically shutting down businesses. And they don't have any control over that. Um, so we've yeah. seen that with a few different tech giants. So a lot of a lot of thought leaders in the industry are cautious when it comes to just kind of jumping on the bandwagon of large cloud hosting systems.
1: Yeah, I, I I agree with that, and I've always been a little bit skeptical of 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 the cloud in general. Not because I don't think it's a or not not because I think it's a bad idea, but just because I think it's uh, too often perceived to be a, a foolproof. Uh, silver bullet to solve all the world's problems, which clearly it's not. I think where companies get into trouble is they don't recognize what some of those trade-offs are with cloud solutions. And especially, you know, when you look at these big cloud providers, I have to wonder when you look at the AWSs of the world or the Azures of the world, Mm -hmm. you know, are they getting too big and too complicated to Mm -hmm. be able to effectively service, you know, their entire customer base and how big is, is too big, you know, what point do they reach some sort of max of what they can scale? Um, those are just more questions than anything, but I think what you're seeing are perhaps maybe the early signs that there are, you know, cracks in the foundation of cloud and there's, there's definitely a dark side. I can't imagine, you know, certainly we all, a lot of people felt the Amazon music and the Netflix and the Venmo being down, mm-hmm. but I couldn't imagine if I was a mom and pop shop that was right. trying to just fill customer orders. I can't fill customer orders because I've got my technology all all hosted with AWS or some other big provider and then they go down. Um, so that's sort of the, the dark side on the, on the flip side, just to play devil's advocate though, Mm -hmm. you have to figure, okay, AWS went down for a day that, that sucks. That's unfortunate. But, um, you know, how often does that happen with the average midsize organization Mm -hmm. in their IT department trying to manage their infrastructure? You know, is that more or less uh, risky for that organization to have someone else hosting that or, um, you know or can those outside hosting providers do it better than their internal IT staff might be be able to. So those are some of the considerations, but I I do think this all opens up and should open people's eyes to the other options that are out there, Mm -hmm. because I think there are smaller sort of mid tier cloud and hosting providers that maybe they don't have the size and scale and the mass cost efficiency that an Amazon or AWS has, or an Azure, Might have, but they might be able to provide better service, more focused service. They're not too big, Um, so. And actually, getting back to one of our guests today, Brad Feeks Mm -hmm. from Estes Group, you know, he's an example, or he works for an organization that's an example of a good alternative that you might consider uh, with AWS. And then finally, I mean, the last thing I'd say is, you know, I, I know this is not a popular comment in this industry, Mm -hmm. but I'll say it anyway because I'm not getting paid to say say otherwise. And I'm not getting paid to say anything, by the way. Um, so that gives me the freedom to say whatever I want. Um, but you do have to look at, you know, does do, do we need our entire business in the cloud? Does it does it all need to be in the cloud? Maybe there's certain applications that make sense to be in the cloud, but there's certain core, critical, confidential, sensitive, you know, uh, operationally critical type things that we want to keep on premise. God, and I know, God forbid, we we shouldn't use the word on premise anymore. It should, on premise should be obsolete according to much of the industry. Yeah. But keep in mind, it's software vendors that are, have the most to gain by having everyone move to the cloud. But I think as a business, you have to really look at, you know, where does the cloud make sense? Where doesn't it? And, um, you know, where might we keep some either on-premise solutions or maybe we we diversify and we have multiple mm-hmm. cloud providers. That That's another thing too. Um, just like, um, you know, you diversify in day-to-day life and running a business, you might want to diversify your your cloud options as well. So, those are some initial thoughts or sort of a knee-jerk reaction to that. Cause I wasn't aware of the outage, quite frankly, until you, you mentioned it to me.
3: You weren't listening to Baby Shark on repeat? I,
1: I was, was not. And I
3: absolutely nothing. Yeah. Well, well,
1: I don't watch Netflix much either. So, yeah. I don't watch TV or yeah. plug into the media in general. So I, I just don't know a lot of what's going on in the world, unfortunately.
3: Well, don't worry. I'm here to keep you with it.
1: <laughs> I appreciate that.
3: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's my job. Um, So when it comes to contingency plans, that's something a lot of dialogue has been around, especially with the AWS outage. How do you plan for this or how can you put in a backup plan if you are a CIO that are utilizing these hosting services? Because like you said, hey, you know, we might go down for a day, but we certainly have all the backing of Amazon's muscle to make sure we don't get any sort of ransomware or cyber attack or things like that. So there are benefits to it. But how do you create a contingency plan or or go about putting that into place?
1: That's a good question. It it was a little bit more straightforward in the days of on-premise or when more uh, applications were on-premise, you would have your backups, you would have your um, disaster recovery sorts of plans. But I think, unfortunately, a lot of organizations have seeded Total control of their infrastructure to these cloud providers. So I don't think they necessarily have a solid plan for what what to do or how to how to navigate that.
3: Definitely, um, and it makes it seems like something that uh, takes a lot of expertise to be able to do. Whether you're talking to people like Brad or things like that, but just having that awareness that there needs to be some sort of scenario built around what happens if this this big hosting platform goes down, what's kind of our triage plan to make sure that we don't lose a bunch of revenue. Um, And with that, that's a good kind of segue into some of the other dialogue that's been specifically around cloud integrations and how difficult it's been for some businesses to move from a SaaS service to a cloud solution and kind of lose a lot of the integrations that they had in place with, whether it's another bolt-on system or something like that. Um, has been kind of a struggle. Is that something that you've seen as a trend with with migrating to the cloud as well?
1: Yeah, it has been a challenge just because the integration tools aren't as developed and robust as the on-premise legacy systems, just because they haven't been around as long in the the cloud application environment in most cases. Obviously that statement does not apply to the the native cloud solutions of the world like Salesforce or NetSuite or Workday, um, some of those types of systems. but you know, one other thing I'd, I'd add on top of what you said is that uh, even in cases where, say, on one hand, you have cases where uh, the integration is more challenged with these, these cloud uh, offerings. But in other cases, these cloud offerings themselves are driving the need for more integration because they're not complete. They're not fully developed. Good point. And so it creates this need to have to integrate to other solutions to sort of fill the gaps or fill the voids. So um, it's sort of a double whammy, if you will, uh, in terms of the the lack of maturity of a lot of cloud solutions, um, both in terms of its own functionality, but also in terms of how you integrate it to other systems. That creates that double whammy of now you suddenly have to integrate more because of the lack of maturity of, of the functionality. But at the same time, you're getting hit with the reality that the the integration tools aren't quite as robust. I think that integration tools, though, I think are, are coming along faster, it seems like, and yeah. which makes sense because it's not as hard to create APIs and integration tools in general as it is to create robust you know, end-to-end workflows and functionality within an ERP system, for example.
3: Yeah, so when we talk about CPI systems like SAP cloud platform integration, those types of things, um, it has a long way to go before it gets to the on-premise solution. So what are some of those gaps that um, customers, maybe specifically for SAP, are experiencing in kind of the lag of technology to move to the cloud as opposed to the on-premise solution, what are some gaps there that they experience?
1: The biggest ones we see, primarily just because of the types of clients we have throughout the world um, at third stage, is uh, yeah, on the manufacturing front. So when you get into complex manufacturing environments like engineer to order um, manufacturing environments, or if you're a you know a big uh, provider of asset management or capital intensive types of products, like, you know, an aerospace company that builds airplanes or rockets or whatever the, all the project management and costing and all the stuff that goes into that. That's a pretty complex process. And those types of organizations are the ones that are testing the limits of a lot of these systems, like SAP's S4 HANA or Microsoft e D365, Oracle cloud, et cetera. Um, you know, If you're a vanilla type of company, a younger company, smaller or less complex, you're less likely to run into those problems. But um, again, it's, it's just not the same as it was with the on-premise solutions that had been around for 10, 20 years and been constantly upgraded and up, updated over those uh, years and decades. Now, all of a sudden, you have relatively new cloud technologies that are rewrites largely um, that are built for the cloud. But now you're still trying to move a lot of that functionality that you, it took you 20 years to write or whatever. Now you're trying to move it all over very quickly to the cloud, which isn't happening as fast as some organizations need it to.
3: Yeah. So is that how your approach should be? Should you be mindful that this is kind of an innovation is still being built when you are moving to the cloud? And is there a middle ground, which I know you and Brad kind of talk about a hybrid solution a little bit later, but is there an option to do both?
1: There is. Yeah, there is an option to do both and, and uh, you know, get... I guess looking at the silver lining of the fact that a lot of these ERP and, and enterprise technologies are not fully developed, it's creating this need to integrate. In many cases integrate to some legacy on-premise solutions. I guess the silver lining in that reality is that it does give you a sort of uh, redundancy or diversification of, um, you know, to where your all your data, all your systems are not in one place. You've got a lot of it in a cloud or hosting provider, but then you've got some of them on-prem potentially that are. Uh, being hosted on on site, or like I said before, there's nothing wrong with having multiple cloud providers too. Your individual cloud provider would probably advise you against that because they want you to put all their money with right. them, sure. And they probably tell you what a terrible idea it is and all the reasons you shouldn't do it. But the reality is, you can, and and if it makes sense, you, you should do it. So um, that's that's I guess those are the some of the things to think through.
3: Absolutely. Um, well, last on my, on my list here is I I wanted to talk through um, Solutions Review came out with their top five ERP vendors worth watching Mm -hmm. today um, for 2022. And some of them I've never heard of before. Uh, Most of them I've never heard of before. So I wanted to um, give you the list and then maybe get your feedback on that technology. So um, EIC software solutions, it sounds like a, a cloud native manufacturing ERP solution, but I've never heard of them before. Have you worked with them?
1: We, I know we've evaluated that solution uh, very limited. Uh, I mean, not a lot, but in manufacturing, uh, in distribution settings, I know we have a handful of times in the past. But I don't know that we, we as a team, have implemented it uh, in the past. So that might be one that uh, you know is a smaller, up and coming vendor, which is probably why it made the list. So I'm not, I'm not super familiar with it now.
3: Yeah, it sounds like it had some notable ac- acquisitions this year. That's allowed it, it to expand some capabilities. So we'll keep kind of a, a radar on that. What about Priority Software?
1: Uh, yes, I am familiar with them. Um, largely because they, you know, they do focus on manufacturing. They've been around for a long time. They're they're uh, they have a decent presence in the uh, the Middle East and Europe, I believe. Mm-hmm. Um, not not so much in the Americas. Uh, I'm not sure about Asia or Asia Pacific, but they they have decent functionality and they've been on an acquisition binge of sorts lately, going out and buying some other um, spot solutions to increase the the robustness of their their core solution. So yeah, I, that is a good solution that that I'm familiar with.
3: Excellent. Yeah, it sounds like they're a cloud-based ERP system as well, and they've gone through a a couple new software updates and acquisitions this year, which got them on a people-to-watch list. So what about Tyler Technologies? I actually have heard of them, but um, they they focus on public sector, from what I understand, with integrated software and, and technology services. Have you worked with Tyler before?
1: Yeah, we have, we have a client uh, that is implementing that right now. In fact, you are close to someone on our team that is involved in that project. I'm not going to mention names.
3: But... My knee dropping. I had that perked. I'm like, I know that one, but right. um, yeah, public versus private seems to be something that is, is trending um, within the industry and just deciding as we've, we've gone over kind of the, the U.S. Air Force versus Navy and, and different um, public sector government infrastructures that are going through some transitions. So definitely something that's that's trending in the industry. So it sounds like they um, have a, a new leadership team, too, that has kind of driven growth for Tyler Technologies as well.
1: Okay. I did not know that last part. I didn't know there's a new a new leadership team in place. So that's good to know.
3: Yeah, definitely. And I'm probably going to say this last one wrong. Um, I think it's Uninet. It's U-N-A-N-E-T.
1: Uh, no, I can't say I've heard of that one uh, myself personally, not to say that others on our team yeah. have not been involved, but I, or they may have the experience that I don't, but I am not familiar with that one. What, what can you tell us about that one? What do you yeah,
3: know? I can. not We, it's, it's interesting because it kind of matches, this list kind of matches our upcoming industries, our verticals that we kind of talked about. So this one is more of the infrastructure side. It talks about architecture, construction, engineering, and professional services. Mm. Um, so and really turning that actionable data into an automation, essential processes, those types of things. Um, in 2021, they actually launched GovCon solution, um, and it's an, a new solution from their company. And then also um, some updates for its ER, ERP and CRM functionalities. So something I'm sure a lot of our construction clients that we have here might consider um, within their um, software evaluation journeys.
1: That's good to know. We have a handful of construction and construction related clients, so that's good to know. I, I'm not familiar with that. I'll be curious to hear if others on our team have, have yeah, been involved with that.
3: Definitely, we'll have to we'll have to ask one. And the last one is Workday, which we know very well, and you've talked about um, as well, mm-hmm. as well. So I think Workday actually fell off our top systems of 2022 this year list, just because yeah. it's so focused on HR finances and kind of planning solutions.
1: Yeah, that, that's a, a good point about Workday. They they did fall out of our top 10 ERP systems, largely because there's other systems out there that provide more complete ERP functionality, but also because there's a lot of issues in the Workday ecosystem that we're seeing as far as implementations gone wrong and a lot of uh, VARs and implementing implementing partners that are struggling with their implementations and so I think it's a combination of uh, the fact that there's other better ERP systems that provide more complete uh, functionality but also the implementations are struggling largely because they're just growing so fast I mean they're growing so quickly that I personally think they're getting in over their heads largely.
3: Yeah it looked like they acquired three new companies recently Um, so that must be a lot of kind of acquisition things to kind of work through um, I wasn't sure if if you were you know biased against them because they are a leader in the Gartner Magic quadr Gartner Magic Quadrants, um, which I know you love so much. So um,
1: <laughs> yes, I love the completely unbiased Gartner Quadrants yeah. because no, vendors definitely do not pay for those, and they do yeah. not get paid to uh, feature prominently certain vendors in the the top of the quadrant.
3: Right. Um, but so but all kidding. All,
1: yeah. All, all sarcasm aside, though, um, yeah, I mean, I, I always take the Magic Quadrants with a grain of salt because they're commissioned by vendors, so you kind of know who's going to land on top when a when a vendor commissions a study uh, from from Gardner. Um, but no, I, I'm actually not against Workday. If I if I were to narrow it down to HCM and financials, Workday, you know, would be not. I don't want to say number one, but certainly toward the top of that list, just because it's one of the best HCM and financial. Uh, time tracking, resource planning types of systems out there. Uh, but if you're a manufacturing company that wants like a complete ERP system, Workday may not be the best solution for you. So that's really the, the limitation there. But where they fit well, they fit really well. So I think that's what you just have to make sure you're a good fit for them and they're a good fit for you before you, you pull the trigger on, on Workday.
3: Right. And speaking of good fit, I think that's a great transition um, to play our clip of Rob Taylor of Sight and Sound because he's going to talk a little bit about it. Uh, the evaluation process that he experienced when going through his Microsoft Dynamics 365 transformation.
1: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I, I planned that segue uh, beautifully. It was totally planned. So, uh, with with that though, we'll uh, we'll take a quick break, and like you said, Kyler, we'll bring back Rob Taylor, who's the IT director of Sight and Sound. We'll talk about the software evaluation or the technology evaluation process, and we'll get to that as soon as we take a quick break. You're listening to Transformation Ground Control.
4: If you are involved in any sort of digital transformation or business change initiative, you will want to download the 2021 Digital Transformation Report. With its comprehensive overview of business and technology trends and best practices, this report is a must-have guide for any transformation project, or executive team download this free report by visiting third stage consulting at third stage-consulting.com you can also visit our website to learn more about us or download independent reports videos and other best practices again visit third stage-consulting.com today to learn how to take your transformation to the third stage of success
1: Welcome back to Transformation Ground Control, episode number 47. My name is Eric Kimberling. I'm here with Kyler Cheatham, and you're listening to episode uh, number 47, like you mentioned, but the third in a series of our Best of 2021 series. This episode is focused on the technology aspect of people, process, and technology, the best technology-related interviews from our podcast here this year in 2021. So our next guest, or the next clip we'll play from you, uh, goes back, it's the oldest podcast the earliest uh, interview on our episode here today. This goes all the way back to episode number three, so it was very early in the days of transformation ground control. I had absolutely no idea what I was doing as a podcast host back then, and in some ways I still don't. But it's pretty it's pretty rough uh, back then, I, in my opinion. When I go back and watch the older episodes, it it seems like I was just starting a podcast, which I was at the time. So bear with the host on this one, but the interview, the person I interview is great. It's uh, Rob Taylor. Uh, from a company called Sight & Sound. They're retail uh, and a theater production company, primarily theater production, but they also do retail. And uh, they hire Third Stage to come in and help do a technology evaluation to figure out what the best technology solution is for their business. So we want to play you a short clip from the interview. And again, if you want to hear the full hour-long interview, go back to episode number three. You can listen to the whole thing there. We're going to play the clip where he talks about the technology evaluation part of it. So but that being said, let's cut it over and welcome Rob back to the show. What about uh, what? What was it that led you when you joined in 2015? What led you to the conclusion, or what was that tipping point that led you to say, "Hey, we need to really rethink our our systems and go through some sort of transformation"? What What triggered that? Um,
0: it really was the state of where I came in. So, um, what had happened as an organization was uh, we had several Actually, three senior leaders in the IT department um, left in 2014. Uh, not not through any specific reason other than just certain things that came up in their own lives, opportunities. And um, I think to that point, there had been a lot of... Uh, the approach had been more around a background of programming. And within reason, there was this thought that, hey, we can write these programs, so let's just go ahead and build them. So we had built out a point of sales system. Uh, we had a homegrown employee management system. Um, yeah, just a lot of products that when I walked in the door, I'm like, okay, if, if we reassess our actual capabilities as a team and, and we're an organization of, uh, 600 employees and, uh, an IT team of 14. And so just trying to, you know, scale things correctly. Uh, I just felt like we had far too much technical debt for the products that we were supporting. And realistically, we were just scrambling. We could, I just didn't see an opportunity for us to get ahead. Our development team is obviously a segment of the 14. So, you know, we're talking about four people. And yeah, for them to keep up with things, um, just pretty much impossible. So I think it really spun up very quickly into a conversation about how do we take the mainstream uh, business functional software solutions and get them as off the shelf products that someone else is supporting and you know adding features to and that it's their discipline to manage that type of product and that way we can take our energy and our expertise and start to move towards the departments that really need a more um, you know something that's basically giving us competitive edge um, performance internally and, you know, make sure that our development efforts are really spent around something that's giving us a not only competitive advantage from the point of view in terms of um, functionality, but really enhancing the workflow and the capability of our teams. Um, You know, efficiencies are only really gained, I guess, in, in my mind, at least anyway, in terms of you either enhance speed or you enhance the process. Um, And so, yeah, with those two things in mind, it it just really felt like we we needed to take what our development team was doing out here and hone it in with a very distinct focus. And to do that, we really acknowledged that, okay, a lot of these other functionalities then need to be handled by a different solution. So we started on that journey of what is that solution?
1: Right. Now, if we break that up into sort of two major phases, one being, you know, that definition of what the solution is and how you're going to move forward, second phase being how do we execute and implement? Starting in that first phase, how how did you get started? What did you do to, you know, define your needs? What did you end up choosing? What path did you end up choosing to go down?
0: Sure. So we formed a, a small team. We wanted to be agile. So there were just four of us initially. And really, I think at that point, we just all independently started doing research and, and really looking around and just you know turning over the rocks to see what we could find um we acknowledged fairly early on that none of us around the table can walk through an erp implementation um and so we recognized very quickly that we would need you know external expertise and as a part of our early uh research we started looking at you know who would that be and, and who were the players who had the reputation and who had the strength to you know come alongside and really help us through it so uh, we actually ended up getting down to a short list of of you and your team uh, essentially at that time and uh, and Gartner. Um, I think one of the things I will say this, one of the things that we recognize being a mid-sized company is that as part of our evolution, when you you know transition over a period of let's say twenty, thirty years from a small, you know, fairly within reason garage style business or you know i have to say the garage sorry
1: right. Our park. Our
0: park. Is go. Go. Yeah. so um yeah that kind of you know transition of just the growth and when you build into that space where you are now in a mid-size enterprise um the transition that happens and really the change uh you know the, the transformation that happens internally as an organization helps you if, if you're aware of it, at least you start to recognize and realize, okay, we need a specific approach to understand, um, where we are relative to where we've been. And I think what also happened around that time is as a team, we started to recognize that, you know, we have been dealing with very much, uh, a mindset historically of small business that led us to always engage with small, business partners within reason and so we recognized like we need to make this leap over that sort of small to medium bridge and actually recognized within reason we were like okay well maybe we'll go a little further and that's why we reached out to Gartner and you know within reason in our research you and your team came up and we recognized pretty quickly that you know you guys were operating at a global level at a broad enterprise level and you know we we acknowledged, okay, maybe that's a little bigger than we are, and, and you know, within reason, maybe more than we need. But I think we married that with, you know, the reality that we didn't want to be approaching it with the wrong mindset. We wanted to make sure that we were looking to the future and looking to building a structure and 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 bringing in an ERP solution that truly was going to hold us in good stead for for the uh, the opportunities coming down the road. And I think that really has, in, in truth, I would say today, that served us well. In, in and we're, unfortunately, where we are, we're currently paused, uh, but we were very close to, before COVID, very close to implementing uh, Dynamics 365.
1: Right. And now, speaking of Dynamics 365, uh, for Microsoft and for those listening that don't know what that is, it's a, it's a common enterprise business technology that a lot of organizations use, especially in the, the small and I'd say even more so in, in the mid-market. What was it that led you to decide that the Dynamics 365 was the right solution compared to other options that you had out there?
0: Well, we engaged. We, we essentially went through that process of determining who uh, our partner would be, and we engaged you and your team at that time and uh, really just started the exercise of walking through requirements gathering and, um, you know, getting to the place where you've got a long list of, of possibles and working through, you know, which ones of these uh, slim down and get to a short list, and that that in, entire uh, process that you walked us through. Um, and I think really what we we came out with is we ended up with three opportunities. Um, I don't know if you need names, but we ended up with Microsoft Dynamics. Obviously, um, there was NetSuite and uh, SAP. Uh, one of their products uh, ended up on that short list, and I think we felt really good about each of those products. Um, and so we started to dig you know as you do, look a, a little more under the hood and getting some demos and that type of thing, and uh, engaging with the virus uh, that deal with these solutions. And um, we essentially walked that process out with you and your team and ended up with a place where you came back with a recommendation. Uh, and I think you know it, it was unique in in some ways in the sense that obviously you, you did recommend a different product. Uh, but you made a very strong acknowledgement at the time that, you know, there really were two of those three that were neck and neck. And uh, I think, you know, we're faith-based organizations, so we wanted to take some time and basically sort of, you know, settle back and just make sure we were hearing um, what we felt was the right decision for us um, and really take some time to sort of meditate that through and just, you know, let it settle with us and have peace about it. And uh, what happened in the course of that time was was we sort of switched gears and we looked at that second option and that was, which was Dynamics. Um, and because we, we at the time, were pretty heavily invested like we are, a fairly strong Microsoft shop um, in the corporate side. Uh, we were Office 365 deployed, we were running Windows 10, um, pretty early adoption around the Windows 10 uh, across the organization. and. And so we just really felt like the synergies that we saw um, were likely to lead to pretty big payoffs. Um, and so yeah, that was the final decision. We landed that after a period of time and uh, and then really just started to look at, okay, how do we get into planning and and you know the process of implementation?
1: All right, that's good stuff. Good to hear the interview with Rob again. That was a, a great discussion and he's always a great guest to have on the show. Uh, and again, if you're interested in that, conversation, hearing more about it, particularly if you want to hear what happens after the technology evaluation, because he does talk about what happened during implementation, what some of the challenges were, what things worked well, what didn't work well. He talks a lot about implementation in that full interview. So go back to episode three if you're interested in hearing the the rest of the story, if you will. And uh, we'll come back from a quick break. We're gonna take a quick break. We'll come back and Kyler and I'll debrief a little bit and unpack a few of the things that, that Rob talked about here. We'll be right back with more transformation ground control. Yeah. Hello and welcome back to Transformation Ground Control, episode number 47. You can find new episodes every Wednesday on LinkedIn and YouTube, as well as all the audio podcast platforms like uh, Amazon, except when they have an Amazon web uh, outage, as we talked about earlier. But otherwise, you can find us on Amazon. You can also find us on uh, Pandora, Google, Spotify, iHeartRadio, wherever you listen to podcasts. Be sure to subscribe to us, check us out, share us with your colleagues. We'd love to get the word out for this, uh, this podcast. So uh, we just had Rob Taylor, of the, the clip of Rob Taylor on the show here. Kyler, what were some of your observations or takeaways from that, that clip we played?
3: Yeah, I think Rob did a great job of kind of explaining their current landscape of a business. And, and I wonder, since they are, they are a small to medium-sized business, if this is pretty typical of, of you getting a client that's trying to bridge that gap from small to medium, and there's just too much going on. Um, for their smaller IT team to manage. And it's just completely inefficient. So it sounds like that's kind of the launch point for a lot of small to medium businesses to look at potentially new technologies to help with that.
1: Yeah, it's about scaling for growth. And, you know, they're a company that hit, hit a, not a wall, but they hit a scalability issue mm-hmm. probably earlier than a lot of other mid-sized companies would, partly because they're so complex uh, for a company their size. Most companies that size don't have the complexities they do, which, you know, you think about theater production and asset management, project management, all the financials, the retail, point of sales uh, aspect of things. Um, they have like a whole, um, um, what, what's it called? I think they call it show ticks. It's like a uh, reservation system where you go, go buy the tickets for certain shows. You pick your seats and all that stuff. That has to integrate back to the core uh, ERP system. So there's just a lot of uh, complexities there that, you uh, once they get past this hurdle of scalability to this next level, that's going to take them pretty far because of the, you know, the, the complexity is they're trying to address with that technology.
3: And is that a big reason that they chose Microsoft dynamics 365 because of its ability to handle complex requirements, but also provide a level of flexibility? Cause they sound like a pretty unique business.
1: Yeah, they, they are unique and they, um, they are unique in that way, and they do have to integrate with other systems. So, that flexibility and integration was really important. And that's how they ended up choosing Microsoft. Um, they're also a Microsoft shop in other ways. So, they use, you know, obviously Office 365 and SharePoint and uh, other Microsoft products. So, I think there's just a certain comfort level that came uh, with Microsoft. But that you're right, that flexibility was a big part of why they didn't choose one of the more rigid, more um, standardized sorts of systems that are out there.
3: Gotcha. And, and when you took them through the evaluation process, um, did, you, did you spend time with each one of kind of these, these arms of their business to understand how to essentially provide a recommendation for ERP? Because they sound incredibly kind of not only complex, but they have different kind of cultures which in, with, within each one of their businesses or their, I guess their departments, I would say.
1: Yeah. Yeah, we did. We, and we do this for a lot of organizations or most, most clients that we work with, you meet with different stakeholders and different groups just to understand the different parts of their business, the different departments, the different locations, how they do business, uh, what the things that are working, what things aren't working, where the pain points are. And then ultimately you translate that into a set of future state requirements. So um, yeah, we, we worked with all different parts of the business to get an understanding of the culture, the operations, the technologies that are using, all that good stuff.
3: And when Rob says things like he he was a little bit hesitant, it sounded like, to choose um, D365 because they are a big company and he didn't know, like, are, are we big enough to utilize them or will we kind of just be insignificant to them? So how did, how did you help them understand that that might be a good solution for them despite their size?
1: Well, a lot of it came down to what sort of, implementation partner or reseller they were going to work with. So, you know, they opted not to work with one of the really big system integrators. They worked with a smaller, you know, sort of mid-tier VAR that was a better cultural fit for them. And, you know, so that part was probably the most important part is just making sure they had the right technical resources supporting the implementation. Uh, But within that, or in addition to that, they also had to look at the technology itself. I think one of the big things we had to vet was, is it too complex of a product that they're not going to use, um, fully used, but what we determined was that there was enough, they were using enough capability in the modules they were going to deploy that it made sense. For, for some organizations, we evaluate D365 and find that it's just too much stuff. Mm-hmm. It's too much complexity. It's too much integration to other modules and tying everything together because the bigger the system, the more stuff it can do, the, m- the more things can be affected downstream. And the more that you know, all the integration points need to be spot on. So that creates a certain amount of complexity that can be too much for some some mid-sized and and certainly smaller organizations too.
3: Absolutely. Well, I I think that um, that's a good kind of transition into Brad and talking about, the cloud, but overall, we started with the evaluation piece and and wanted to kind of focus on a real life case study that shows our top ERP system of 2022 that Eric just put together. So definitely recommend listening to that full interview because there's so many insights that are real, authentic, and you know it's a it's a case study. So if you are considering that or want to go through that, um, head over to episode three and get the full interview with Rob Taylor.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that's good good advice. And uh, especially again, if you wanna hear more about implementation as well, he talks a lot about from a client's perspective, from an IT director perspective, what were some of the challenges and the things that worked and didn't work uh, during their implementation. So be sure to check that out. Um, Now we're gonna shift gears and we're gonna continue with this whole technology theme, but we're gonna shift gears and talk less about applications and application evaluation and talk more about infrastructure and get back to this whole thread of cloud and is cloud the right solution for me? And uh, what are my options within the cloud realm? What is managed services? What what could that mean for my organization, my infrastructure? We're gonna talk about all that when we come back from a quick break. We'll be right back with Brad Feeks from Mestis Group. You're listening to Transformation Ground Control.
6: If you are aiming for transformation success, turn to Third Stage Consulting Group. Third Stage's independent and technology-agnostic consulting team helps clients define their digital strategies, define their roadmaps and manage their transformations. With offices in the US, Europe and Australia, our team helps the world's most forward-thinking organisations through their transformation pitfalls and risks.
1: to transformation ground control episode number 47 you can find new episodes with us every wednesday on youtube linkedin all the usual audio podcast platforms be sure to also check us out on social media if you're on linkedin youtube uh, instagram tiktok twitter facebook any social media platform be sure to check us out we're constantly putting out new content new videos new blogs all that good stuff and you can uh, read some of our thought leadership and blogs at thirdstage-consulting.com I'm excited to play you this next clip. Uh, this was a really good guest, very smart guy. Um, and I liked that he's so smart, but can break down pretty technical stuff that quite frankly is even over my head. He can break it down and, and explain it in a very clear, articulate way. And uh, this is Brad Feeks from a company called Estes Group. And Estes Group is a provider of cloud and managed services. And we wanted to play you this clip here today because uh, this little fifteen. 15- Minute segment uh, talks about uh, some of the overview of what we discuss in the full interview, and uh, it really unpacks some of the concepts behind cloud and managed services and some considerations to think about as you're navigating uh, your potential cloud migration. So, with all that being said, let's cut to episode number 25, which is where you can find this full in- interview on this podcast. We're going to play a f- few minutes here with Brad Feeks. I guess to start, maybe just to set some context, uh, maybe help us understand, you know, what the cloud is, because I think. You know, conceptually, I think a lot of us understand just generally the cloud is offsite, someone else handling our technology, the data and everything, software data, infrastructure, it's all out there in the cloud versus on-premise where we install it, we've got the servers here on site. So I think conceptually at a really high level, most of us understand that differentiation, but there's a lot more to it. And just chatting with you earlier this week to prepare for this discussion, you know, you you actually helped me better understand some of the nuances of all these little differences or the little subsections of what the cloud really is. So maybe just help us unpack the cloud in general. What is What does it mean? What are the sure. major components of it?
2: For sure. Um, so I think uh, I, lo- I love the bumper sticker that says, uh, we all got excited about the cloud, but it was just someone else's computer. And I always uh, find that in the end, just my, my favorite little quip when it comes to cloud conversation. But. For me the the cloud is is best understood in me using those old as a service uh, definitions that I that we all went through when we were doing uh, management of information services 101 in in college and uh, for me I'm, I'm a Euclidean so I think everything in life can be summarized by a straight line um, so if you take kind of the dina- dimensions of, of an application deployment and on the one side you have, your traditional on-premise deployment—you have a local server, uh, you have a local installation, you have the data center, you have the cooling, the hardware, all of the infrastructure to make sure that this thing runs successfully—redundant power, physical security, etc. That's kind of on the one dimension of of a computer deployment. On the far end, you have what we call software as a service, and software as a service is kind of your purest version of what we might call cloud and that is where there is no install that from a software owner standpoint you as the the recipient of the software have no visibility to the installation and the the final product of how that's that uh, software lives you just consume the output um now between that there are a lot of kind of variations that that differ in varying ways so as we go kind of from the on-premise Towards pure SaaS, you run into what sometimes is called infrastructure as a service. And in in this case, with infrastructure of a service, you have a, a cloud provider, a data center, or what have you, providing the tools to allow you to carve out virtualized servers inside of their data center. So they have a whole bunch of server stacks. They have that all built out. What they have on top of that is a software layer that allows you to virtualize and scope out, scale out the server architecture you need to do your install. So, From an installation standpoint, you still have what we call a perpetual license of the software. You are still installing it on a box or a set of boxes that you have physical control of. You can define and control the properties of those servers, which is one of the big pieces of Cloud, right? Elasticity and scalability. You you say how much RAM you need, the number of cores, etc., on a given box and you have kind of that full control, but you also have the the responsibility of everything else other than that physical manifestation. Uh, as you move a little further out, we talk about platform as a service. And with platform as a service, it often happens where you have someone who's kind of playing the middleman. They're consuming those raw cloud resources from the data center, and they are scaling and scoping out that that work for the end customer in terms of building out the environments, um, and then then optionally installing and managing the software itself that goes on those environments. So from a customer standpoint, you have uh, less responsibility to keep the overall ecosystem running. Uh, you still have access to that that back end of the server to be able to see your data or see your application and manage some of that but you also have kind of a partner working with you to assist you in that area now esther's that's kind of the area for us and where we have the most footprint and visibility we work kind of between that level of infrastructure and platform as a service Kind of work with our customers to give different different variants of that. Um, it's when you get from platform as a service and now you go further down the dimensions. Now you're talking about pure software as a service. So at this point, the customer no longer has visibility to that server foundation they're just really consuming that software from a pure client standpoint and it's it's really that kind of dimension is where when we talk about cloud anytime you stop living on an on-premise server you're, you're working with some version of the cloud and depending on kind of the the needs of the business and how you best uh, work with the uh, tools at hand you might choose one or one or more versions of that
1: yeah yeah, that's that's interesting, and it, it's helpful to think of it in a continuum, like the way you just laid it out. And I think one of the um, one of the big things that that um, resonates with me as you as you're talking about this is the fact that you know there's still a lot of holdouts uh, for the cloud. You know, a lot of CIOs and IT directors that they like the control they have, they like the transparency, the visibility, the ownership, whatever you want to call it. They like just knowing they've got you know they've got their own stack, they've got their technology, the data, it's all right there. They can, for better force, they they control it. And, you know, I think a lot of companies are afraid to make that huge leap over to SaaS, you know, on the other extreme where it's just not only mm-hmm. in the cloud, but it's multi-tenant and um, you, have a, you have less flexibility, you don't really see what's happening behind the scenes. But what you're saying is there, there are some hybrid, uh, they're not really hybrid options, but there's things that aren't as extreme of a, of a jump for some of those companies that do want to retain control and maybe have more flexibility. Is that true? Would you, you sure. agree with that? Yes, more yeah, options?
2: yeah, entirely. There are some gradients along the way that a company who doesn't want to uh, com- commit completely to a SaaS option for one of a number of reasons. And there are you know there are reasons that your are your classical change management reasons that that are uh, just difficult to handle the change. There are also I think in my mind's more legitimate reasons that keep a company from moving straight into a pure SaaS version. But uh, to your point, there are different gradients between the infrastructure and platform as a service models that allow you to take away some of the capital investment costs, some of the risks, some of those challenges that come from a pure on-site on-premise server and start to consume the cloud in, in varying ways to help make your business better and, and you know make your bottom line better as well. So th- those are definitely some areas that, and, and when we had discussed earlier, The idea of uh, an ERP system quite often is much more of a tangled web than when we talk about it academically. We say an ERP is this thing where in reality, it is a core system with a number of bolt-ons, integrations, reporting tools, other things that are hooking into a given platform. And The challenge with a uh, implementation and a Cloud deployment is quite often you're not just moving the ERP system, You're moving the ERP system and repointing or moving all of the other uh, components to that. So uh, I, I, I think of a company's uh, IT platform as like an octopus where you have eight legs and some of those legs are stuck back in an on-premise model. Some of those legs are already into the SaaS model. And as you migrate your ERP software, you wanna make sure that you don't cut off any of those legs along the process. And uh, with a IIAS with a or a platform as a service model, you have the ability to do some of that migration without it being as disruptive for the business. Yeah, yeah good point. All right, good stuff. We're going to take a quick
1: break and we're going to finish up this clip when we come back with more Transformation Ground Control.
4: download independent reports, videos, and other best practices. Again, visit thirdstage-consulting.com today to learn how to take your transformation to the third stage of success.
1: Hello and welcome back to Transformation Ground Control episode number 47. Let's cut back to our discussion with Brad Feeks from Estes Group talking about cloud and managed services. Do you you find that you know, given the maturity level or lack thereof of, of some cloud ERP systems in the market or enterprise technologies in general, do you find that a majority of organizations are doing some sort of mix where it's some some stuff in the cloud, but you're still trying to figure out how to tie it back to or integrate back to on-prem systems and tie it all together? Is that the more common scenario or are you finding that more companies are actually putting everything, you know, all the core systems in the cloud?
2: You know, it probably depends on where the, a given company is with its business system and, and how tangled its existing web is, that's probably one factor. Um, Probably the the level of complexity within the business is another driving factor. If you are, let's say, a discrete manufacturer with a really well-developed and well-defined product and a relatively straight business model, you are a much more likely candidate to move straight into a SaaS solution uh, where you can use those functionalities and take them on and and do well with it. And I've seen a lot of companies who do that and they're successful. There's another kind of class of companies that have more complex product, more complex business models, uh, bigger challenges coming from the dealer networks or the supplier networks, the subcontractor networks, and a need for functionality that tends to stray from out of the box capabilities more commonly. And that's the the class of companies where I find the middle models of IIAS or PAAS being more valuable to them because it gives them that ability to maintain some of those competitive edges that they've developed over the years uh, with their ERP system. Some of those things are not things that are easily ported over into a pure SaaS model. Um, I listened to a CEO of a company once describe kind of their future vision for the world, and and he described it as kind of a, a, a balance between configurability and customizability. And for those customers with the simple product, the simple business model, they were the most likely the ones that could live within a configurable system that had very well-prescribed boundaries. And for those customers who did not live within that system, there was the more perpetual license, on-premise version of that installation that would allow them that greater flexibility. And then the the benefits of of these middle cloud versions is that you have the on-premise capabilities of the system, but you also have the deployment of the cloud. So it's kind of taking the best of those two sides of the coin and trying to blend them that way.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So just to maybe summarize the whole enterprise technology cloud landscape, you have, you know, and tying it back to your your description of what the cloud is and some of those different options you have in the cloud. So on, on the, the one extreme you're talking with the software as a service, multi tenant, um, you know, everything sort of managed by the the software vendor and Um, A little less flexibility that goes along with that. So examples of products that fit that model would be like a NetSuite or Workday, Salesforce, like some of those pure SaaS solutions, right? Right. And then you might have like a, uh, you know, SAP, uh, Oracle, Epicor, Sage, you know, those sorts of products where maybe you buy an instance of the software, but you have someone else hosting it, either infrastructure as a service or platform as a service. Is that how you would like how would you, if I were to go buy software and I sort of that hybrid model where I'm actually buying my own licenses, I'm not doing a multi-tenant model, like a NetSuite where you just, you know, you're logging in, you're using the same, you know, uh, version or whatever as everyone else. And you can't really, custom, or you have limitations on what you can customize. So you back off of that and then you go with like a Epicor, let's just say, or SAP, whatever it is. And you want to have someone else hosted. Tell us like, how does that work? How does that, what does that look like?
2: right so the deployment model is one of those kind of magical parameters within the idea of software selection that doesn't always get considered and i think it's always uh, something that really should be considered i had to, let me just drop into an anecdote here of a customer who had uh, brought in the estes group to help them install and implement the system and on kickoff day the it director says so where's where's our web client how do we deploy this to the web so our, our users can get at the 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 application and we kind of looked at each other and said, well, it's actually a fat client deployment. The the application doesn't have a robust web client that can support this implementation. And he kind of stood up in awe of, oh, how did we not know this? And um, it was one of those assumptions that we take on when we look at software selection. We think so much about functionality. What are the key things that the system can do for me? Can it configure my product? Can it handle my supplier uh, structure? Can it handle customer requests coming in? We don't always think of how how is the system going to get deployed? Will we have the access we need to be able to report and fine tune and do whatever else we need? And how will the users be consuming that? So that's a big kind of chunk of that. Now, now within the broader ERP landscape, like you said, there are custom you know, software providers like NetSuite, like Plex, uh, Salesforce, what have you, where, it's really what you see is what you get, and you have this Cloud version, the SaaS version, and it's really, your deployment is self-evident. It's all browser-based, so those things are all made very clear for you. Um, as you deviate out of those classes of applications, it gets a little more dicey because you have a lot of uh, providers who are kind of in a middle ground between some form of a web client and some version of an on-premise client. I would say a couple off the cuff would be Syspro or Epicor would probably fall into that 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 category where they have a SaaS version and they have a on-premise version and they're running in a parallel model. So as a consumer, as a buyer, you need to be determining, you know, between the two of those to say, yeah, yeah, am I going to look and go in this direction of the on-premise version, or is the SaaS version capable enough uh, to meet my needs? So it's with that family of of companies that are kind of. were that predated cloud, predated SaaS, that really have that conundrum of how to kind of bring their platforms forward without losing all that robust functionality that they built in in the process. All right. Thanks, Brad. That was a great
1: conversation. And again, if you like that conversation or you want to hear more of it, go back to episode number 25 of Transformation Ground Control. This podcast, you can uh, hear the full hour long or so uh, discussion that we had with Brad we, we covered a lot of ground in that discussion we just played you a little bit of it here sort of scratching the surface but that full interview goes into a lot more detail so be sure to check that out and we're going to dive into some of the concepts that uh, Brad touched on here in that clip when we come back Kyler and I'll debrief on some of that but first we'll take a quick break we'll be right back with more Transformation Ground Control.
5: It, it today. if you can't then it doesn't matter anyway.
1: Hello, welcome back to Transformation Ground Control, episode number 47. This is the best of 2021 series. This episode is focused on technology. Uh, If you want to hear about the people and process sides of transformation and sort of the best of those two threads, be sure to go back to our last two episodes prior to this one, episodes number 45 and 46. We covered those two threads in those episodes as well, sort of the best of those topics throughout 2021 on this podcast. Uh, but we just had on the show a clip uh, from Brad Feeks from Essays Group. Kyler, what were some of your thoughts from that, that clip that we played?
3: Well, I have to mention the cloud is just using someone else's computer, his bumper sticker, because I, I still <laughs> think that I didn't understand what the cloud was until I heard this interview. I think it is my favorite of this season just because it is so informative, yet easy to digest. So definitely recommend listening to the whole thing. Um, so when we talk about kind of an on-premise service versus software as a service um, or an on-premise solution, I should say, it's basically taking um, something that doesn't need to be installed and, and providing that additional oppor- opportunity to have your data hosted in the cloud. Is that what we're kind of understanding from an overview?
1: Yeah, that's that's a big part of it and probably the simplest analogy that risks oversimplifying it is, is to look at something like uh, your Gmail. If you use Gmail for your email provider or when you're using Facebook, for example, all that stuff, all that data is hosted in the cloud. You're not, you're not installing any software. You might have to install an app or you have the option to install like the Facebook app on your phone or whatever, just to make it more mobile friendly. But that data itself is actually being retrieved from the cloud the application's running in the cloud. Everything behind the scenes is in the cloud. So if you use Gmail, if you use Facebook, if you use you know a lot of consumer-facing types of uh, technologies, you are already used to the cloud. You just didn't know what the difference was. But now with, with business applications, this is a relatively new thing where we're talking about taking something that's bigger than just a Facebook or a Gmail, something much bigger, more robust, a lot more no, – I shouldn't say more data because – Facebook captures data on billions of people across the world. So that, that I'll set that aside or strike that comment. But in general, you do have just different types of data. You have, you have sales transactions, you have master data, all this different reporting and business intelligence that you need to, to use. So yeah, that's a probably a a, way, a simple way for a layperson to understand what the cloud is.
3: Yeah. I want to talk more about the middle models. Um, he gave that analogy. Again, he's excellent at analyses about octopus arms. So basically, yeah. you know, you could have eight different options for how you utilize your systems and software. So how do you decide if you are kind of in that middle model tier within the evaluation process?
1: Well, it you know, I think it, a lot of it gets back to what we talked about in the opening segment as we were talking about the the Amazon or Amazon Web Services uh, outage recently. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you have to look at the risk reward of what you're trying to accomplish and, you know. There's something to be said for size and scale and cost efficiency that an AWS or an Azure provides, but a second tier, middle tier uh, sort of uh, provider like Estis can provide sometimes a more cost effective solution, and it can also provide you a more uh, tailored solution with more attention that you you get. You're not just a you know a, a number. Uh, on, the, on the customer list, you're you know just tr- you just have more visibility within the company. So there's something to be said for that that a lot of organizations find comfort in. So I think it's really a matter of what it is you're looking for. For some companies that are really big and mature, they just want the lowest cost option and they they'll, they're perfectly fine going with AWS. They just have to be sure they're, they're ready to mitigate the risks that come along with that.
3: Absolutely. And he talks about the balance between configurable, versus customizable. I wondered if you could elaborate on that, um, because I feel like that's a really important point that he talks about.
1: Every product that you deploy has a certain amount of configurability you can do, which is basically changing the software, tailoring the software without changing the source code, without changing the core of what the product is meant to do. So configurability is something that you know, everyone has to deal with and, and it's, it's generally a, a positive thing. It's a way to tailor the system in a relatively easy way. When you get into customization, though, that's where it gets trickier because now you're talking about changing the code, you're changing the way the technology was really built to work. And it may make sense for you to do that because your business is more important than the way the technology works. You have to figure out how to run your business and meet your business requirements, even if that means that you need to customize the software. Now, having said that, you want to be selective about when and where you customize and you're, you have to recognize you're headed down a slippery slope. Once you start customizing, it's really easy to get other people wanting to customize stuff that you shouldn't be customizing, but there are, in most cases, most organizations that we work with there, there is a, a certain amount of customization that's required to make any sort of off the shelf technology or, or cloud solution fit for your, your business needs.
3: Absolutely. Well, I definitely recommend, um, going to to see Brad's full interview because it is very informative when it comes to the cloud SaaS systems um, and then on prem solutions as well. Um, He goes into kind of what the difference is between all of those and and how to um, best right size for your business. But I think speaking of kind of customizable and configurable, it's a a good time to go over to Fabian from Odoo uh, and his kind of overview of open source technologies.
1: Yeah, absolutely. That'll be that was a good conversation too. Um, I was a little bit hesitant to have a vendor on the show, you know, throughout the whole season or throughout the whole first year of transformation ground control. I really tried to keep vendors in the the sales spin off the show. And you know, when I did have someone like a Brad Feeks, who technically technically that is a, a vendor, but he's more of a, a hosting and managed services mm-hmm. vendor, not so much a, a software vendor. Um, But when it came to Fabian, I'm just so fascinated by open source. We get so many questions about open source. It's a relatively new thing. It's different than what people are used to seeing. I thought, what what better person to have on the show than the CEO and founder Mm -hmm. of one of the the prominent uh, open source technology providers in the world. So that was the the background for why we had Fabian from Odoo on the show. So we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to play you a 20-minute clip uh, from that discussion, which was super interesting. I learned a lot in this clip as well. Um, and I think you did too, Kyler, which is part of why we included yeah. it in our, in our Best Of series. Um, so we'll take a quick break. We'll be right back with more Transformation Ground Control.
6: If you are aiming for transformation success, turn to Third Stage Consulting Group. to see how we can help you reach the third stage of transformation success. Learn more about us and download independent reports, videos, and other best practices at thirdstageconsulting.com. Welcome
1: back to Transformation Ground Control, episode number 47, the best of 2021 series. This episode is focused on the technology best of uh, the podcast for 2021. And I'm excited for our next clip, which is one of the more memorable discussions we had on the show. It was the first time we had a software vendor uh, on the show. It is uh, Fabian, who's the CEO of Odoo, which is an ERP provider, an open source ERP provider uh, based out of Europe. And a uh, really good discussion in this clip, we talk about uh, some of the pros and cons of open source and what the benefits are of open source, why organizations are migrating to open source in many cases. And so uh, we're gonna play you a clip here, and this is from episode number 41. So if you're interested in hearing the whole interview, go back to episode 41, download that one, and you can you can find the full uh, hour long interview with Fabian. And uh, as we before we jump to the clip though, just one sort of disclaimer, is at the very beginning of this clip, which is one of the highlights of of the interview, there were there were a couple of technical issues. He was having trouble hearing me, and so bear with the you know the few seconds of uh, him trying to hear me and me trying to hear him, which sort of happens right I think midstream as we as we get the conversation going. So don't worry, it doesn't last for long. It gets you know we get through the conversation, but uh, you'll you'll pick up we it's pretty raw, so you'll you'll get the the technical difficulties worked in there as well. So without uh, further ado. Uh, Instead of <laughs> Adu, do you catch that, Kyler?
3: Yeah, wow, I, I, I just funny. thought of that. I
1: like it, just I it sounds like I had that plan, but actually, I didn't. Um, so, so anyway, without further ado, ado let's go ahead and have uh, let's play this clip here from Fabian from Odu.
7: So, Eric is asking me a question. I hope uh, people hear me, but uh, his question is, What is uh, open source software? And basically, open source means that it's a software that you can download, that you can modify. That you can change uh, for free, and it's guaranteed that it's free uh, from the license. Um, so basically, it's come from the idea that no knowledge, knowledge should be shared, that we shouldn't uh, create a lock lock or uh, lock in or customers or uh, on the software. So it's basically free and guaranteed by the license, free to use, free to modify, free to distribute, and uh, But uh, having said that, the the service is not free. Some from from the rest, uh, the the service is like traditional software. Uh, So, what differs from the traditional ERP is actually not that much. It's just uh, another license. Um, And for the rest of the service, so like the way you implement software or the way uh, the software evolves from the software vendor perspective, the research and development is actually the same. The only difference is that we work with communities all around the world, but we we have the same quality uh, development cycle than traditional vendors where we also own core base and we, we modify it.
1: Okay, that's great. Yeah, so it's, it's a bit different from, from ERP solutions in that way. But so
7: I still don't see you, Eric. Okay, so he's you asking ask questions. How is oh, is open source okay. different for low code or custom dev solutions? So basically, um, um, open source is just a way to produce software. It's not a business model. It's not The business model is the same than traditional software. It's just a way to work better with the communities and open to the world with a more open approach to everything we do and more transparent. The a low-code approach is just having a framework that allows to uh, customize the system without development. Uh, and we have that with Odoo too. We have an application that is called uh, Odoo Studio, that allows you to customize um, all your application without development. So we do both open source and we do also have a low code solution where you can customize your own application or develop your own application without development. That's very useful to adapt the software to a lot of different clients without going uh, in very cost, uh, highly expensive uh, budget because development always costs uh, a a lot.
1: Perfect. Now that sounds good. And so, so it's, a, it's almost sort of a, a hybrid in between uh, commercial So when you
7: are doing three, well. okay, good. So it looks like you're still here and seeing me. Uh, maybe... <laughs>
1: and for those of you just joining, we, we lost Do the you connection. have other
7: questions, maybe what I should say is that um, Odoo is not fully open source. It's what we call an open core business model, where you have a part of the software that is free open source, uh, which is Odoo community. It's one of our products. And we have another product, which is Odoo Enterprise, which is for a fee. And so 80% or only of the features we have are open source. Um, we still have 20% of our features that are for a fee. So it's a mixed model, model between proprietary software and open source software.
1: Got it. Okay. Perfect. Um, okay. So that's a good overview of how open source systems like Odoo are different from off the shelf ERP systems and also how it's different from low code or custom developed solutions. How, how does an organization know if, uh, if an open source solution like Odoo is a good fit? What, what kind of organizations do you find that Odoo is a better fit for than others?
7: I think organizations don't care about open source and shouldn't care about open source. I mean, open source is just a license. You don't choose your uh, ERP or business apps based <laughs> on the license. Um, the license is important, but it's not what matters. What matters is that does it does the job for you? Is it complete? Does it covers all you need out of the box? So it's more about comparing product. Open source, in my opinion, is not a value for the end user. It's just a better way to produce software. Mm. The value for the end user is comparable with traditional ERP. Uh, and because we have this fast uh, development model, we could get to a better value for our clients. But uh, ultimately, what matters for the end user is not that it's open source because, at the end, he does like every other proprietary software. He pays a subscription. He has an implementation service company that does the service. He has warranties on his bug fix and his support. So, at the end, it's the same. It's just that we have a better way to produce software and a much faster way because, as you can see with the evolution of Do, in just a few years, we, we are now talking in millions of users. Uh, where, where when I started, the VCs told me you, you need 30 days to do an ERP, 30 years, sorry, to do an ERP. And we just did it in a short period of time because of this open and transparent approach.
1: Right, that's interesting. All right, we're gonna take a quick break. We'll come back with more discussion with Fabian. You're listening to Transformation Ground Control.
4: download independent reports, videos, and other best practices. Again, visit thirdstage-consulting.com today to learn how to take your transformation to the third stage of success.
1: Welcome back to Transformation Ground Control. We're in the middle of a clip talking with Fabian, who's the CEO of Odoo software and open source provider. Let's cut back to the clip right now. So what is it, um, how often do do customers make significant changes to Odoo, you know, in that open source environment? One of the benefits I would think is that you could, it has the flexibility to be able to modify the software, change the code. How, how often do customers actually do that versus just using it the way, the way it's originally built?
7: So our approach is very similar to the traditional software where we try to minimize development. Um, it's uh, 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 every partner has its own approach. So every implementation service company has its own approach. Some prefer to develop more, others prefer to develop less. We, as a software vendor, we recommend uh, usually uh, more standard implementation based on best practices rather than trying to redo everything. The good thing with do is that we cover so much in standard that we go much further than the traditional ERP just out of the box. So we need less development than traditional software. Like traditional software, they don't do e-commerce or they don't do business intelligence or they do with different products that you have to integrate. So it costs a lot. They don't do point of sales. They don't go on social marketing. And with do all those things are completely out of the box. So when we usually answer to a large client, they have a list of requirements. The others like SCP and Dynamics, most of the time they answer with six or seven different software. And they have to integrate things. And, and, and so it gets very complex and it costs a lot. With Odoo, is different because we cover so much in standard, because we have 30,000 apps from the community app store, the largest app store in the world. We can deliver all these things in a single platform. So not only the customer has a better solution because everything is integrated, including his point of sale, e-commerce, business intelligence, and so on, but also it's much easier to implement because an integration costs a lot.
1: Right. Yeah. So in this case, then, when, when you have customers that implement Odoo, they don't necessarily need to have a super deep technical competency in house to be able to support a product like this i mean they could still use it sort of similar to how they would use an off the shelf system is that correct
7: yeah and it's yeah busy, yeah you're right and it's actually what we want to do we want to commoditize the erp market when i started erp costed a lot of money even for small company you right, had to 50000 euro 100000 euro even for the small companies what we want to do is to make it affordable for everyone um, and so for that, we need things to walk out of the box and to cover all the things that the tr- majority of the customer need. But on top of having all the, the features available out of the box, we also have uh, like a large app store, so we can use apps from the community and also Odoo studio that allows you to customize with a few drag and drops so that you can do customization without going to, uh, on the development side. And of course, obviously, if you need even more for the very large, when, we, when you start to get with 1,000, 2,000 users, you always have developments and that there you can develop. And the good thing with open source is that we are based on uh, modern technologies. I mean, it's Python, PostgreSQL. So developments are much easier than traditional software.
1: Right. Now, how has how is open source or Odoo in particular, how has Odoo Evolved over the years. I mean, what are some of the major advancements you've seen in open source in general, but more specifically to Odoo? You know, since you started the company fifteen years ago, what are some of the major, the biggest leaps or improvements you've seen in the yeah. Every platform?
7: year the the product is very very different. If you have followed Odoo from version 10, 11, it's the, the, the 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 gaps are, are really big. Um, look at the traditional ERPs from year to year; they all, always look the same. <laughs> Sometimes with a different design, but you still have this complex, bloated things, uh, where Odoo is different. Uh, The way I see the thing is that um, a few years ago, 10 years ago, the complexity was to uh, to manage the business process and uh, to have your accounting data consolidated from all the departments. That was what all the traditional ERPs tried to do. And and they did it and it works well. Uh, They support most of the core business process. Uh, but the thing is, now we have to go much further. And what we do have to do is not only support the business process, of course, uh, is to really have a productivity tools for every employee. Mm. We want the worker in the shop floor to be more efficient, the accountant to do more, less uh, manual uh, recording, or the cashier in in the for retailers that uh, have better tools. And that's where I believe we, we went uh, much far, far, f- faster than all the others because nobody's there yet. They are all very painful to use, um, whereas Odoo is extremely simple and, and, and fast um, because we, we we focused on that since you now five or seven years, while the other were still trying to go on the cloud. Yeah,
1: <laughs> yeah. that is a big liability of, of some of those uh, legacy ERP vendors for sure. Well. Um, what, are, what are some of the benefits of open source in general, you know, when you talk about open And I think you've alluded to this in some
7: of your... There is still a benefit. Uh, so as I said, it's not very different from traditional software as a customer point of view. As a development point of view, it's very different because we have uh, uh, close to 100,000 people who live on the do their full time job. So we get feedback from all around the world, contributions and so on. So as a development point of view, it allows the product to grow faster. Uh, but this, there is still an, a very big advantage for the customer is that there is no lock-in one of the main issues that customers have with traditional erp is the big lock-in you never know what will, what's going to be the price the price might increase year after year uh, it's not easy to switch technology it's not easy to find consultant that knows the technology the thing with open source is that it's trained it's teached in a lot of universities so you have resources all around the world it's open so students can learn or people can learn even without having to be partner with a large name um, and also because with ado specifically when you have 80 percent open source and 20 percent for a fee the customer has access to the source code so we don't lock in for every every time you need something uh if for instance we are too expensive you can just ask someone else um, and so that creates a pressure on the price and as a result the price of the subscription as much lower because we cannot afford to charge the same price than the others do. Mm-hmm. Uh, because our biggest competitor is our open source product.
1: Right, and, and who is your, your biggest competitor?
7: It's, uh, it's our community. So we have our new enterprise that we sell and the community is open source product. It's our biggest community. If we lose a deal, it's, they go for the free version. Um, maybe I should, it's not totally ah. true. So when, that's for for the pressure on the price. On the market, I don't consider that we have competitors. So obviously, there are plenty of players on this market. There are hundreds of ERPs and business apps and so on. Uh, but uh, despite the fact that SAP or Microsoft spent billions of dollars to reach the SMEs market, they all failed. I mean, for the small companies, the equipment rate is barely nothing. For the mid-sized companies, it's 18% equipment rate, despite the fact that everyone tries, So basically, nobody succeeded including us, huh? we didn't succeed ne- We do less than 1% of the market. So. Um, so the way I see the thing is that we are not fighting against competitors because nobody succeeded to make something affordable and real productivity tools for the employees. We are trying to do something that nobody did before. We are trying to make uh, management software accessible, affordable, and real productivity tools where the users save time instead of losing time recording data in a system. And that's something that nobody succeeded to do. So for me, it's not about the technical fighting about a competitor. It's more a technical challenge that we have to crack.
1: Right. All right. We're going to take a quick break. We'll come back with more discussion with Fabian. You're listening to Transformation Ground Control.
5: If you are aiming for transformation success, turn a Third Stage Consulting Group. Learn more about us and download independent reports, videos, and other best practices at thirdstage-consulting.com.
1: Welcome back to Transformation Ground Control. We're in the middle of a clip talking with Fabian, who's the CEO of Odoo Software, and open source provider. Let's cut back to the clip right now. What sort of uh, so you mentioned that open source is you know do in particular is um, you don't notice it any different from an end user perspective you don't know you don't necessarily know or need to know that it's open source versus a off the shelf ERP system but from a technical perspective um, if if you do want to make changes to the software if you do want to add apps or do some integration to other third party apps or whatever the case may be. What kind of technical competencies do you need that's different from if you were using an off-the-shelf system?
7: Yeah, the main difference is that all the dependencies and the components we use are open source and well-known. So you are not locked in a very uh, proprietary database that costs a lot or different software. Everything is free and accessible. So for 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 the customer or the partners, if they want to develop their own things, they use common technologies, JavaScript, HTML, and not very specific language, <laughs> like Abab. Um uh, So because we rely on standard and very common best practice, it's easier for the developers. It's also because we, it allows us to create the software faster, or technologies are a bit more modern than the traditional player. Most of the players have very old technology when you have to customize uh, the software where we rely on Python and JavaScript, which, which are the two most used language in the world right now.
1: Right, right. Yeah, that makes sense. And by the way, if, um, I, I know I've got a lot of questions for you and I'll keep going with those questions, but anyone in the audience, if you have questions on the, on the live chat, please feel free to chime in. I'd love to hear what questions you have about open source, about Odoo, uh, digital transformation in, in general. Um, so what do you see as the, you, we've talked quite a bit about the, the benefits of open source, how it's different how it's similar to, uh, to call it traditional ERP systems, but what are the risks of open source? When, when you, in other words, when you, do you ever have customers where you feel like this particular situation, our product is not a good fit, or there's a certain well, amount of because goes with that? The,
7: the risks are the same than proprietary software. I mean, uh, it's all about doing the implementation uh, project correctly, which is having right project managers, uh, ch- uh, dealing with the change management, avoiding to go too much in the custom development. So it's basically the same kind of risk that's what you will get in the property software open source. So that doesn't change a lot uh, for, for that part of the business, delivering the service or, or selling the software. The approach is really the same than traditional software. Right, okay.
1: All right, great conversation. There's a lot more of that that you can listen to in episode number 41. There's a full hour-long discussion that I had with Fabian in episode 41. So be sure to check that out if you haven't heard it already here on this podcast. Again, you can go find episode number 41 on YouTube. You can also uh, search it on whatever podcast platform you're you're listening on or that you're subscribed on. So when we come back from a quick break, Collar and I are going to unpack some of the topics and some of the highlights of what he talked about in that clip. We'll be right back with more Transformation Ground Control.
6: If you are aiming for transformation success, turn to Third Stage Consulting Group. Third Stage's independent and technology-agnostic consulting team helps clients define their digital strategies, define their roadmaps, and manage their transformations. With offices in the US, Europe and Australia, our team helps the world's most forward-thinking organisations through their transformation pitfalls and risks. If you are embarking on a digital transformation or business change initiative, contact Third Stage Consulting to see how we can help you reach the third stage of transformation success. Learn more about us and download independent reports, videos and other best practices at thirdstageconsulting.com.
1: Hello, welcome back to Transformation Ground Control. I'm here with Kyler Cheatham, episode number 47. We just had this clip with Fabian, the CEO of Odoo, open source software. What were some of your thoughts in that discussion, Kyler?
3: Yeah, I'm still kind of just floored that his view of of open source is just another license. Like, it's just a very interesting way to look at it. Um, And he really preaches the transparency of building software that way, uh, as it's a a better value for the actual end user um, and what that looks like. So I'm wondering when it comes to, because I can just see this kind of rolling into an executive meeting and it's... Very cool, polished. Looks like it does everything. And then going to scale that to an actual functional IT team, I could see them being like, "Whoa, what is this?" Type of thing. Is that kind of something that you've experienced with Odoo, or or how is it received on kind of that more technical uh, software level?
1: Well, you know, at the technical level, if if we're when we're talking to the more technical types about Odoo, they it just in as a broad generalization, technical types, techie types really like the product. I mean, it's, it is, uh, it's a product that seems to be sort of either you love it or hate it sort of deal. Either you love the idea you love that it's written in Python. You love that you can do whatever you want to do to change it. You love the fact that it's modular. You love the fact that it's cheap, but then we've had other clients. In fact, I just had a call with a, uh, potential client here today, um, before doing this podcast and. uh, an international client that had considered Odoo, but they didn't like it because it just seemed like it was just too much work to maintain. And uh, it didn't seem like it had as much robust functionality as some of the other systems in the marketplace, which, you know, every product has its strengths and weaknesses, but I think Odoo is sort of your, you know, sort of your maximum flexibility sort of option. If you really want to do whatever you want to the software, you want to, you know, tweak it, you want to customize it, you want to break it, whatever you want to do, you can do it. with with Odoo, Um, so it gives you sort of that maximum flexibility, but that's uh, a double-edged sword. In fact, that's something that we, uh, I don't think it was in the clip that we played from Rob Taylor earlier, but I remember in that discussion with Rob and certainly in the consulting we did with Rob from Sight and Sound, as we were talking about Microsoft D365, one thing they really struggled with during the implementation, even with D365, which is not open source, but it's still almost as flexible or, or fairly flexible compared to other systems, In that case, it it was too tempting for that particular client and a lot of clients we work with. It creates this problem where you can change the software. There's a lot of flexibility, but it doesn't mean you should in in many cases or most cases. So you're sort of creating this gateway for people or an excuse for people to just change the software because they don't want to change themselves. So I think that's one of the big things you have to watch for with open source or some of the more flexible ERP systems is just the fact that it, it creates this temptation to not change and just change the technology instead.
3: And what skill level do you need to have on your IT team? That just sounds like a very, not only technical piece, but a lot of organization to go into that and a deeper understanding of that system where it is kind of module based. Is that something that you need high skill on or is it, would someone be able to use that um, just being, you know, a normal IT professional?
1: Yeah, that's, that's a great question. And that's something I asked Fabian in that full interview uh, back in episode number 41. And it's, and honestly, that was probably the one thing in the conversation where he and I didn't agree necessarily, Mm -hmm. not that we need to agree. I mean, that's part of why we have different guests on the show is to get different points of view. But I I think in my opinion, he may have oversimplified the, uh, the technical maintenance of the system, partly because, you know, he's a technical person and to him, it, probably feels like it's pretty easy. But if you get someone like me, who's not very technical to try and manage that, or if I get a less sophisticated IT person to try and manage that, who's never dealt with Python or open source, that, that could be a lot, that, that's a big ask. So I don't know that I have a good question for you all, other than to say, I don't know that I have a good answer for you. I have a lot of good questions for you. A lot, a lot of bad answers. But, uh, <laughs> but uh, one of the key things that, uh, key takeaways that I think, you know, organizations need to look at is they just need to understand What does it mean to customize or change the software? What do you need to maintain it? How do upgrades work? How does the integration happen? And those are all considerations with any ERP provider, but they're just a little bit different with this whole open source uh, concept. Um, And that is something that, you know, a lot of my opinion is based on what I see clients struggling with. So that's sort of like the boots on the ground view, whereas he has more of a view of what could be or should be with the technology. And so it's just a matter of, you know, bridging that gap. So I don't know if that that's a good answer for you, but that's, that's my opinion on that.
3: Yeah. Just different perspectives. Certainly he, he has a, a, it's definitely worth a listen to his, his view on that too. Just, you know, as a, um, as two different perspectives and that's the point of the show is just dialogue from each side so that you can make the best decision for your business. Cause that's, what's important. And when yeah. we talk about integration, Eric, is that Odoo's competitive advantage We talked earlier about how integration, specifically within cloud systems, maybe in the bigger cloud providers, has been a bit of a challenge. Odoo kind of preaches the ease of integration. So I'm wondering if that's kind of a main competitive advantage for this system.
1: It is, that is one advantage, is that the ease of integration and, and the fact that it's an open architecture, so there's not, you don't have the situation you have like with SAP, for example, or even Oracle. Where you have sort of a proprietary integration and architecture tool set that is highly specialized, and you have some limitations on who and who is qualified to make those changes. Because this is written in Python, it's more of an open architecture. You have more options in the market as far as hiring people or bringing on consultants that can figure that stuff out. So that that is that integration is a, is a. An important point or a differentiator and also the modularity of it you know the fact that you could go start with crm or just start with financials or inventory management as sort of a standalone deployment that helps a lot of organizations that maybe aren't ready to commit fully to a full-blown erp system but they know they need a solution for uh you know financials or crm or whatever it is and we see a lot of organizations that are they're that doing that um in in their consideration of of Odoo, they'll try out a module. In some cases, I think there's some freemium sort of pricing where you can try it out for limited functionality or limited number of users. Um, so that that's a good way to get you know to get a feel for what the software can and can't do.
3: Absolutely, that's an excellent point. Um, and almost a, a shift to what Brad was talking about as software as a service is kind of the future. You know, this is kind of the ultimate manifestation of that, in my opinion.
1: Yeah, yeah, it, it is. And uh, yeah, it, there's a lot, of, a lot of benefit to the, to the open source concept. I'm, I'm still a little torn on it. I, there's certain situations where it makes a lot of sense for, for clients we work with, but there's some where um, you know they, they think about open source, but it, it just doesn't fit what the needs are. In fact, I've had uh, more than one team member on the third stage team ask me to stop talking about Odoo so much because we're planting the seed in people's minds that shouldn't be really considering open source. And, uh, and, you know, it's just an intriguing message. It's an intriguing uh, story, I guess you could say, but just like any other decision, you want to be sure you're not blinded by the possibilities or the, the, the upside without considering what the downsides are and what, how that compares to some of the other options you have in the marketplace.
3: Yeah. And that's kind of our job is to be the Debbie Downer. When you come and see this like shiny new system and you're like, this is so cool. And we're like, yeah, it is super cool, but it's not exactly what you need. Again, right. that's the important part. It might be the most awesome thing in the entire world, but if you launch rockets, maybe you don't need a, a totally modular based system. Maybe you need a, a bit more of something standard um, and robust. Yeah. I think it's interesting that both of you kind of talked about the transparency it needed in the industry in different ways. So obviously, Fabian talked about how that's what Odoo's kind of one of their pillar values is transparency by offering that open source code and things like that. Do you think all vendors should do that? Like he had said, you know, that's the kind of the right way to um, offer up software and how to build it. Is that something that you think that other vendors should kind of get in line with?
1: I do. Uh, yeah, it's, you know, easier said than done. But I, I really do strongly believe that statement. And I, I think that's an area where uh, Fabian and I agree wholeheartedly that there's more transparency needed in the industry. And the fact that both he and I have created businesses that are so disruptive to the industry simply because we're being transparent. To me, that's, that's a problem. I mean, it's good for us, I guess, good for Odoo, but uh, good for third stage, but is that good for the clients that, you know, maybe don't know about us or don't know that there is no transparency or there's a lack of transparency in the market. That's the real problem. If everyone knew that there's a lack of transparency and understood that, then maybe it's okay. Cause then they can sort of call BS on it or, uh, you know, sift through the marketing spin and the the hype and the garbage, the noise that comes along with the industry and get to the heart of what they're trying to get to. Um, so yeah, I think they're, I think the lack of transparency is a huge problem. It's, it leads to a lot of ethical uh, lapses. In my opinion, it leads to a lot of self-driven monetary driven behaviors that are unhealthy for the organizations that get stuck with what's left at the end of the day, which is a technology solution that they may have been oversold or didn't get implemented correctly, or maybe they just shouldn't have been, it shouldn't have been implemented in the first place or shouldn't have been sold to them in the first place because it was never going to be a good fit. So that stuff wouldn't happen if there was more transparency in the industry. So yeah, I agree with that comment.
3: Absolutely. It, It seems like a good way to end this episode in that sometimes, a lot of times technology seems unapproachable or untouchable And it really isn't, it's not something to be feared or let control your overall business objectives. Um, And that's the kind of the flexibility of Odu and everyone talking about the different options here but they all had one common theme. What are your needs as an organization and how to evaluate that, how to understand that there are options in the marketplace and then understand the best system for you. And that's what we try and help our clients do at third stage.
1: Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's well said. And that's a good summarization of what, how to think about technology, especially, you know, as fast as technology is changing these days, The the divide between what organizations can realistically consume and adopt that gap is just growing over time because we, as humans and organizations, you know, we can, we can change a little bit faster incrementally over time, but we're never going to change as fast as technology is changing. So that, that divide becomes more apparent and the chasm between you know where we are today and what technology could do for us in theory, as that becomes greater, the risk becomes greater because now all of a sudden, if we try to make that massive leap overnight, that's a huge risk for our organization, especially in the short term. So that absolutely is a, a good way to look at it. So, uh, well, thank you for curating and, and producing the content here for uh, not only this best of series, but uh, every podcast, you, you do the same thing every week. I don't know if the audience knows that, but I, I just show up and start talking. You're the one that actually puts the thought into what we're going to talk about. So I appreciate you sort of pulling together these best of interviews here for the this series. Um, so thank you for that. And thank you to the audience for listening. And again, uh, go back to episode episodes number three, number 25, and number 41, if you want to hear any of the... Uh, interviews in full that we we played clips from here earlier today. We'll be back with more Transformation Ground Control next week, but in the meantime, hope you have a great week, and we will see you all soon. Have a great week.